I want to start with a question for you this morning. Why does Grace Presbyterian Church exist? Why, why are we here? Uh, if you've been through our inquires class, you know that, that our purpose as a church, our stated purpose, is to reach and equip. To reach people for Christ and to, then to equip them to serve in His kingdom. That purpose statement flows out of the great commission which Jesus gave to His disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So that idea of reaching and equipping flows out of Jesus' instruction to his disciples in the Great Commission. Well, how do we do that? Um, how do we go about reaching and equipping? Well, we do this. We gather and we worship God. We hear the, the proclamation of God's word. We, we attempt to apply it to our lives. Uh, we gather in small groups for Bible studies. We gather in community groups as well. But a lot of the, the reaching and equipping, the reality of it is it's carried out in the context of one-to-one -one relationships. The relationships that you have with each other, the relationships that you have with people outside of grace, the relationships that our families have with each other, the relationships with your, your family has with other families outside of grace as well. Those relationships are where we have the bulk of our opportunities to talk about the gospel. To talk to people about how they can know God and have a relationship with Him and, and talk about the realities of, of eternal life. Talk to them about the good news of Jesus. Now, right now, some of you may be starting to dread this sermon a little bit uh, because you're like, where's he going? Is he going to talk about evangelism? I already feel guilty enough about not doing evangelism. I didn't come to get more guilt this morning. Uh, I am going to talk about evangelism, but I'm going to talk about it in the context of ministry in general. Uh, and it really isn't my intention uh, to guilt trip you this morning. Because if you're a Christian, uh, believe me, I understand this. Sharing your faith can be awkward. Um, it can seem weird. It can be uncomfortable and scary and overwhelming. And, and we're in this culture that generally frowns on proselytizing and trying to convert somebody from one faith to another. Uh, and so the whole thing can kind of be uncomfortable to us. And if you're not a Christian, you may have been on the receiving end of uh, some well-meaning Christian trying to talk to you. And you're just like, well, what are they? This, they're trying to sell me something here. What's going on? In any event, there are barriers to this, right? To, to ministry. There are barriers inside of us. There are barriers that exist outside of us as well that make sharing our faith difficult. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to ask and think about what do I need to understand, what do I need to know to become a person who willingly and gladly makes ministry and even evangelism a part of my life? What are, what are some truths I need to know that will equip me then or motivate me to be someone who is who's excited about ministry and even about evangelism. So let's read this, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. This is God's word. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, 
which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God may, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, this is kind of a, a dense passage, uh, and it can feel a little overwhelming just reading it and, and trying to figure out where we're going with this. So I pray for grace this morning, that you would help me to communicate clearly, and that you would help us to, to hear what we need to hear uh, from your word. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So let me kind of set this up a little bit. Paul talks throughout this section about this mystery, right? You see that word several times in the text. And when we hear the word mystery, what do we think about? We think of something secret, something hidden something puzzling, something we have to solve. All right, why does Wofford start fall classes on Labor Day? All right, that's a mystery. All right, nobody, nobody really understands the reason for that. But, but the Greek word here uh, that's being translated mystery refers to something that's been hidden that is now being made known. All right, it's a little, it's a little different from the way we think about mystery. Uh, look at verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So, this mystery has something to do with Jesus. All right, now, now look down at verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What was hidden that has now been made known is God's plan to unite Jew and Gentile, and remember when the Bible says Gentile, it's just saying non-Jew, which is everybody else. God's plan to unite Jew and Gentile to Jesus Christ and to one another in one body called the church. Alright, way, way back when we were still in Ephesians 2, back before Christmas, we talked, because Ephesians was looking at some of the barriers that exist between, existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. And we said it was like there was this wall, like a physical wall almost was separating them. And that with the coming of Jesus, the cross, it was like the cross comes down and it obliterates that wall. And so Jew and Gentile are gathered together. They're not separated anymore by all the things that separate them, but they're gathered together around the cross of Jesus Christ, uh, where all of them realize that their acceptance by God depends on what Jesus has done and not on what they do. And so they're united to God through the cross, but it also has this ability to, to unite them, bring them together. 
Uh, Saturday night, I was I watched a television show called Clansville, USA. Has anybody seen this? Uh, it's, it's not very popular on Netflix or anything. Uh, it was actually on PBS, but it was it was about the KKK in North Carolina during the 1960s, uh, and it was it was really kind of heartbreaking to watch this this group of people in these these goofy costumes with the with the symbol of the cross on them. And they would burn crosses, and they would sing that old rugged cross at the end of their meetings. And they preached a message of hate and separation in the name of Jesus. It was heartbreaking for many reasons, but it was heartbreaking because it's like they completely didn't understand what the cross was all about. That the cross is meant to remove barriers, to remove the barrier between us and God, but also to remove barriers that exist between different people and different races. The cross works to restore relationships. It's that message of the cross, that message of the gospel that we're trying to carry out. When we start thinking about ministry, when we start thinking about evangelism, it's that message of the cross that we're carrying. That Jesus has come to restore our relationship with God, and that as our relationship with God is restored, the cross can also work to restore our relationships with other people as well. People who are incredibly different from us. People of different races, uh, people with different interests, people of different socioeconomic groups. Just this, all kinds of different people are able to be united by the power of the cross, the power of the gospel. And that's good news. That's good news. And that's the message that we have to bring to people when we start talking about evangelism. Well then, what are some things, to kind of get back to where I said we're headed to start with, what are some things then that I need to know in order to become a person who willingly and gladly takes this message to people? Right, we got the message. What are some things I need to know to become somebody who willingly and gladly takes this message to other people? I want to look at Five things, and I'll be, I'll be relatively brief on all of them. I want to look at our motivation for ministry, power for ministry, the focus of ministry, the reality of ministry, and then a home base for ministry. And I'll say them all again as we go. Uh, first of all, our motivation for ministry. Look at verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see that underlying motivation there? That even though Paul considered himself the least of all the saints, he considered himself the least of all the saints, but God had given him grace. God had given him grace. Uh, Paul, if you know much about his life, he was a, a persecutor of the church. He was kind of an early religious terrorist, as it were. Uh, he was a self-righteous persecutor of the church, even. He, he, he thought he was good. He thought he was holy. He thought he was doing the right thing. He thought his good works were earning him acceptance with God. He really, at the end of the day, thought of himself as his own savior. Uh, then one day, out of the blue, God saved him. And you can you read about that in, in, in the book of Acts. And turned all of that pride, all that self-righteousness, he just completely turned all of that upside down. And Paul saw this religious, do-good kind of guy 
saw that his only hope for salvation was the blood of Jesus Christ. That he indeed was not this high and mighty person, but he was the least of the least. And his only hope was in what Jesus Christ had done. He had been given undeserved grace. He hadn't earned it. God had rescued him. And Paul wanted other people to hear that good news about Jesus Christ as well. God had graciously and freely rescued Paul. And he wanted other people to hear the good news so that they could experience that rescue, that restoration of relationship with God as well. And so I want to ask you, is, is God's grace to you? Is it motivating you? Is it making you want to, to share that good news, that grace with other people? Um, if it's not, I'm not asking you that question to, to make you feel guilty, but I do want you to ask yourself, why am I not jacked up to tell other people this good news? You know, if, if it's such good news, why is it that, I, that I'm not excited about telling others? Because isn't that what we always do with good news? Right, don't we always want to tell people when we have good news? My team won. I passed the test. Uh, the doctor said everything was okay. I'm going to Hollywood. I mean, imagine American Idol if you get the first round and they find out they're going to Hollywood and they don't run out screaming with a yellow piece of paper, right? It just wouldn't compute. You'd be like, well, aren't they excited? That's what you do when you go to Hollywood. You get excited about it. When we have good news, it's almost a part of the enjoying the, enjoying the goodness of the good news for us to tell other people. I mean, imagine someone who had got engaged and then they just never told anybody. You're like, what? That's kind of weird. I mean, you got good news. You want to share that news with other people. And so if, if we have no desire, if we've not been motivated to share the good news of the gospel with other people, it may be that the gospel really isn't good news to us. Uh, it may be that the gospel isn't really good news to us. It may not be good news to us because we still think we've earned it and we deserve it. It may not be good news to us because we think we still have to earn it and we know we haven't done enough to earn it and we're just like, oh, it's oppressive to us and not good to us. It could be that we're just kind of going through the cultural Christianity motions of the South and so it's like, okay, whatever, gospel, great, I'm just go to church and leave. But I think there's something else going on as well here. I, I do think most of us get it. Uh, and it is good news to us, and we want other people to know it. But we're really afraid it's not going to be received as good news. We're really afraid it's not going to be received as good news. Think about it like this. If I'm a South Carolina fan, and we win a national championship, and I go tell another South Carolina fan about that, that's received as good news, right? Like, you know, that's going to be a positive experience. But if you're a South Carolina fan, you go tell a Clemson fan that, like, it is good news to you, but it's not good news to them. And so it's not really like, like oh, great, okay? They're not really going to be excited about that. I, I think that's what we feel like as Christians sometimes. We have this good news, and we're excited to tell each other, but we're afraid that when we go tell somebody else, that's really not going to be good news to them. And they're not going to get it. And so we'd like to share it, but we're afraid that the people we share it with are just going to want us to... Just leave me alone. Just go away. Which leads me to my next point. If that's the case, um, 
where then do I find the power to do gospel ministry? Where do I find the power to share my faith? If I do think it's good news, but then I'm just kind of, I'm overwhelmed by the whole thing. Where do I find the power to share my faith? Uh, what do I do? Look at verse 7 again. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul was given gifts for ministry by God, and then he was empowered by God to go out and to use those gifts. Uh, when it comes to carrying out the Great Commission, uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then, then, then we all have... Um, different gifts and abilities all right some of us might be on a scale of one to ten some of us might be a one in terms of our ability to do evangelism i'm not looking at anybody um others others of us might be a ten in terms of our ability to do evangelism some of us might be a three at service some of us might be an eight at service all right some of us might be a two at encouragement others of us might be a, a you know a 15 and a half at encouragement uh, some of us are kind of behind the scenes. We're better at that. Some of us are better up front in terms of what God has given us abilities to do. We all have different gifts given to us by God, and we need to use those gifts. But here's the thing. I think God sometimes has this habit uh, of calling his people into uncomfortable situations where we sense our lack of gifts. Like, God, I don't know if this is what I'm really the best at doing, but you put me here to talk to this person. And I think that's so that in those situations, we'll really learn to lean into him and cry out to him to empower us so that he really will get the glory for what happens. Um, put it like this. Imagine we all decide to go build a house next weekend. Uh, and we've got, some of you aren't going to show up, I know. But and we've got we've got different gifts and abilities as we go to do that. And let's say that some people are good with saws, some people are good with drills, uh, some people are good with with nail guns, and everybody's kind of doing those things. And and sometimes every once in a while you get handed a tool that you're not the most comfortable using, right? And you ask somebody what to do with it, and you go and you do the best that you can with it in the situation that you're in. But there's one thing, <clears throat> excuse me, there's one thing that everybody has in common whether they're really good with a tool or just okay with a the tool, they're all dependent on those things being connected to a power source. A battery, the, the, the electrical outlet, they all have to be plugged in to something if they're going to work. The power source for our ministry is God and His grace and His strength to us. So we go doing whatever it is God has called you to do whether you think you're good at it or not so good at it, you have to go doing it in complete reliance and dependence on him being empowered by him. Which I think is one of the reasons the very next thing Paul prays after this section is, is not uh, in your bulletin, but he says, I bow my knees before the Father that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Uh, effective ministry is not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And so we all need to be bowing our knees, crying out to him that we might be strengthened and empowered for ministry. So we got a motivation for ministry. We've got the power for ministry. And then I want to look at the focus of ministry. Look at verse 8. 
To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Uh, many, many years ago, when I, was, when I was in college, one of my friends was converted and they kind of felt this burden to get all of our other friends converted. But the way they went about it was, was sort of like, it came across as, um, you need to quit doing this. And you need to quit drinking so much. And you need to quit hanging out with these. Just a lot of you need to quit. And when we preach the gospel, we are calling people to repentance. But we're not simply calling people to be better, to do better, to work harder. We're pointing, we're hoping to point people to something better. We're pointing people to someone better. We're pointing people to a better savior than the ones they're relying on right now. We're pointing them to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says that Jesus became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The treasure that people seek is found in Jesus Christ. Uh, when you're surfing the web, going to places that you know you shouldn't be going... When you find yourself going to the same parties, getting, getting wasted again. When you lash out at people for not giving you what you think you ought to be getting from them. When you chase after popularity or affirmation uh, or love. What you're really looking for is Jesus. What we're really looking for is Jesus. What we're really looking for is a Savior. We're just looking for those riches that are in Christ. We're looking in all the wrong places. Uh, Greg Dutcher wrote a book called You Are the Treasure That I Seek and then he has a little asterisk and it says but there's a lot of cool stuff out there Lord and I think it's a very honest book title You're the Treasure That I Seek but there is a lot of cool stuff out there Lord and he, he tells a story later in the book of going into the hospital room of a woman who was dying of cancer and she was kind of faced looking out the window and he thought she was just staring out the window and then he sort of noticed that she had some praise music playing and she had her hands lifted up and there are these tears of joy streaming down her face. And he said, how can I interrupt this, this moment? This dying woman is communing with her Savior. Don't you want to die that way? But she turned, she heard him come in the room and she turned... And she asked him to come over and she wanted to share with him a story she'd been reading from the Gospel of Luke that morning. Uh, and it was a story from Luke about a woman whose only son had died. And Jesus comes along and he raises him from the dead and he gives him back to his mother. And Jesus doesn't do any teaching. He doesn't say, look, I did this, now you should go do that. He doesn't call for anybody to make a commitment to him. He just gives the son back to the mother and the lady said I think this passage is in the Bible just so we can see how beautiful Jesus is I think this passage is in the Bible just so we can see how beautiful Jesus is if you and I are going to minister to other people we have to be more and more gripped with how beautiful Jesus is and we've got to call people not to be better to do better but we've got to show them that Jesus is a better Savior, a more beautiful Savior than the ones they're chasing after right now. 
Uh, there's an old hymn called Ferris Lord Jesus. And it, it kind of, if, if you hear the old tune, it's kind of got these sappy, sentimental tunes. Uh, but, but, but listen to the hymn. Ferris Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, O thou of God and man the Son, thee will I cherish, thee will I honor, thou my soul's glory, joy, and crown. Fair are the meadows, fair still the woodlands, robed in the blooming garb of spring. Jesus is fairer, Jesus is purer, who makes the woeful heart to sing. And I kind of imagine this song like, like the sappy tune for the first part where it's talking about all the beautiful things out there. And then I'm kind of picturing like Eminem singing the second part where he's like trying to convince himself because that's what we have to do a lot. Like we see all this stuff. It's like you almost have to get angry with your soul and go, Jesus is fair. Jesus is pure. And then the next verse, fair is the sunshine, fair is still the moonlight and all the twinkling starry host. And then Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer. And we have to, to do that with ourselves. Dang it, heart, all these things are attractive to me, but Jesus is a better Savior. And we have to be convinced of that if we're going to minister out of the riches of Christ to other people and point them to the riches of Christ. Um, we, need, we, we need to know that the Savior we need, the Savior other people need, is Jesus. So motivation, power, focus, within the reality. Uh, the reality of ministry. Ministry's hard. Ministry's hard. Uh, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul's, Paul's in prison because of his ministry. And then, but then he says in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Ministry is hard. Uh, our own selfishness and fears hold us back. Sometimes we're tired and just feel like we don't have anything else left to give. Uh, maybe you don't want to have one more awkward conversation. Maybe you're tired of praying for the same person to change and they're just not changing. Maybe you're tired because the people you're trying to reach don't want to have anything to do with the message that you're hoping to reach them with. Ministry is hard and we need to acknowledge that reality and not try to paint this false picture. But I think there's a, a clue here into another of Paul's motivations, another thing that keeps him going. Notice he says, his suffering is their glory. His suffering is their glory. In 2 Timothy, he says, he endures all things for the sake of the elect. His suffering will lead to their glory, and so he endures. And if you think about it, that's the same pattern that we see in Jesus Christ. His suffering leads to our glory. His suffering leads to our glory. So we shouldn't expect that we're going to somehow get out of that as we do ministry to others. It is our suffering often that leads to glory for others. Ministry is hard. Ministry is hard. So we've got the motivation, the power, the focus, the reality. And I want to close with this. Our home base for doing ministry. Verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities 
in the heavenly places. When, when Jew and Gentile, black and white, rich and poor, Democrat and Republican, young and old, they all come to see their need for Jesus Christ and embrace Him and embrace one another, there's a place where that actually gets worked out. It's the church. And it's not like the invisible church. Oh, Justin, I'm part of the invisible church. No, the, the New Testament letters are written to particular local churches where believers were expected to be a part of. Participating in local churches with elders and deacons and preaching and sacraments and maybe even they had uncomfortable chairs there too. I don't, I don't know. The, the, the gospel is called to be embraced and to be worked out in the context of the church. You're baptized into the fellowship of believers in the local church. And when all of that happens, verse 10 says that heavenly beings, uh, and Paul may be here referring to angels, he may be referring to good and bad heavenly spiritual powers, but, but heavenly beings, when that happens, they sit up and take notice. They sit up and take notice and are amazed at the wisdom of God and what he's done in drawing this, this patchwork of people together. And when those barriers come down that exist between us, not only do the heavenly beings notice, I think other people notice as well. And I want to ask, what, what, what's so different about that place that the barriers that exist everywhere else in our society don't exist there? When you and I take the gospel to people, we're not simply inviting them to Jesus we're inviting him to be a part of his family, uh, the church, as well. Um, let me close with this. I want you to imagine you're in some post-apocalyptic setting of the movie of your choice. Uh, and and you're, you're part of a small group of people who have survived. And you've built your little walled area where you're living in. You're huddled together. And you've kind of created a little bit of way to survive again. And, and you send rescue parties out looking for other people. What if you go out and you find somebody, this little family that's all alone, and you give them some food, and then you say, hey, here's some food for you. It'll last you about a week, and God bless. And then you go back to your community. Or you wouldn't do that, would you? You would go out, and you would give them the food that they would need, and then you would say, come back with me. Come back with me and, and be a part of this community that we have. When, when you take the gospel to people, you're not just inviting people to become solitary Christians, but you're inviting them to know the love and the welcome of the very family of God, the love and the welcome of the church. Motivation for ministry, power for ministry, the focus of our ministry, the riches of Christ, the reality that ministry is hard, and yet a home base for ministry where we, we come together as the church, then we go out and then we bring others to be a part of the church as well. I want to close just by asking you this question. Just you, you go home and think about this. Uh, who are the people in your life right now that God is calling you to pray for? Who are the people in your life that God is calling you to step out on faith and begin to minister to? You? Just go think about that. Let me pray for us. <coughs> Father, I pray that we um, 
as individuals and as your church would be more and more seeing how beautiful Jesus is. That He really is the Savior that we need. Uh, and as we live that way, I pray that that might be attractive to others and that they would have questions about that and that we would be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Uh, Father, by your grace, motivate us by your grace, enable us and strengthen us uh, that we might be those who would minister to others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.